Good morning, it's Jim, it's the World of Bonds, and it's Monday, the 19th of October 2020. US 10-year Treasury bond yields are up a little bit, four basis points higher at 1.57% this morning on hopes that Nancy Pelosi will um, approve a stimulus bill for the US economy uh, later this week. Later this week, we also have the final presidential uh, election debate on Thursday uh, with Joe Biden still way ahead. Some estimates put him at 70, 80, even 90% chance of winning that election. Uh, Clean sweep is obviously slightly lower odds, but still a blue wave looks to be one of the bookies' favourite outcomes at the moment. On Friday, after the market's closed, and as predicted in the podcast on Friday itself in the morning, Moody's did cut the UK's sovereign credit rating down to AA3. They cited those things that they talked about a year ago when they put them on um, negative outlook about the UK being institutionally weak. Uh, and then obviously there's the growth environment, the fiscal environment, etc. have all en- enabled these cuts down um, to AA3, you know, which is uh, only one credit rating notch away from a single A credit rating, having been a triple rated, uh, AAA rated economy before the GFC back in 0809. Do credit ratings matter though for sovereigns who can print their own currency or are these simply kind of like a barometer of debt to GDP developments that aren't particularly useful uh, to anyone? And if you think that is the case, and it probably is true for good quality sovereigns, it becomes much more important when you reach that cusp of triple B down to the world of high yield. Uh, But you know, there are other ways of measuring markets expectation default risk and one of those is a market has become a lot less liquid over the years, and that's individual credit default swaps. Uh, CDS on sovereigns give you an idea of the market's expectations of default. So for the UK at the moment, um, if you're worried about the UK defaulting over the next five years, you could pay 20 basis points a year to an investment bank, and uh, if the UK did default, you'd get uh, paid the equivalent of £100 uh, on, your, um, on your bond price. So um, we are now at 20 basis points in March during the peak of the coronavirus uh, lockdown. We're out at 50 basis points, but still relatively low, to be honest, um, and 20 basis points even lower, obviously. During the GFC, it got out to 150 basis points um, for a five-year sterling credit default swap on the UK government. Um, but remember, that was, those were extraordinary times at the time. I remember lending money to a, a good quality global bank um, for 7% for one year at a senior level. So the dislocations in the economy were extreme then. Um, we have to ask ourselves the question, is it ever even possible or likely that the UK would default given it could print unlimited amounts of pounds to repay you for uh, those bonds that you'd borrowed from it. So with the benefit of hindsight, you know, that was a a gimme trade probably, five-year credit default swap on the UK at 150 basis points. Sadly, if you're in the UK, if you're a UK institution, you're not allowed to effectively sell insurance on, on your own sovereign Um, I guess people would be rightly sceptical that if the UK government had gone bust, then a UK institution would be able to step in and uh, pay their debts as well. You know, it's almost a a contingent liability on on the UK government. So you can't uh, sell or write protection, sell insurance on your own sovereign. But you could have done it on France, Germany, the US. 
But as I say, market liquidity looks pretty uh, rubbish in Sovereign CDS at the moment, but on the look of the screens at the moment, France, 18 basis points a year to um, sell insurance there. Germany, 11. US, 16 basis points. So uh, for the good sovereigns, all around or under that 20 basis point level. Talking about sovereigns still, um, again in last week's podcast I talked about the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, and how it seems to have changed its view on austerity. This goes back a couple of years really. We talked about Olivier Blanchard and his idea that sovereigns can borrow a lot more than they have been doing given how low interest rates are. And we also talked about a blog that appeared on the IMF's website last week that implied that the uh, fiscal multiplier effect of spending money by sovereigns at the moment was immensely powerful, Uh, you know, perhaps six times higher um, than it would be in a normal period of economic growth. Nowadays, you might get a huge bang for your buck um, for doing fiscal investment if you're a government. So kind of implying that now is the time, if there ever was a time, to be spending money freely. So this weekend in the FT's Big Read column, journalist Chris Giles wrote, uh, the week that austerity was officially buried was the title of the piece, talking about the IMF virtual and IMF and World Bank virtual meetings that have been held over the past week or so and saying that they have moved away from what it describes as fiscal orthodoxy to fiscal activism. There's a quote in there from Carmen Reinhardt, you remember her from the famous book This Time is Different that I mention at least eight times a year. Uh, the kind of bible of Austerians um, that said that if your debt to GDP ratio got above 90% then your economic growth would fall by about 1% a year. Um, there were some issues with that book, spreadsheet errors, etc., etc., that kind of invalidate a lot of its results, but nevertheless incredibly powerful at the time, including amongst people like George Osborne in the UK post the GFC. But she's quoted last week as saying, spend what you like effectively. The quote is, first you worry about fighting the war and then you have to figure out how to pay for it. And this appears to be what's going on across the world. So fiscal stimulus amongst uh, sovereigns around the world is now equivalent to something like 12% of GDP, a huge amount of fiscal stimulus um, as a result of coronavirus in, in a very short amount of time. Remembering that during the global financial crisis, the amount of additional stimulus was only something like 2% of GDP, um, which felt like a lot at the time um, in some areas, but you know we're now six times higher than that already just uh, less than a year into the coronavirus crisis. Um, As a counterpoint to some of what I have said and some of what Chris Giles has said about the IMF's change of view, Oxfam, and also on Twitter, you should follow her, Daniela Gabor, um, an economics professor, kind of criticise this idea that the IMF has loosened up its thinking and say, well, it has to some extent, but really only when it talks about developed market economies. For developing markets or emerging markets, the poorer countries around the world, 80% of their COVID programme spending, you know, they've also spent a lot of money to, to, relief, to relieve their economies and to pay for healthcare, etc., 80% of those IMF development programs in emerging or developing economies come with strings attached that call for severe austerity. So for 
Western developed markets, the IMF appears to be, you know, a bit more flexible on what what it ac- deems acceptable. For eighty percent of those COVID programs in poorer countries, it's asking for austerity in order to pay for it. And on some estimates, um, the the fiscal consolidation that they're asking for subsequent to the COVID uh, disaster when it finally ends might be five times the scale of the amount of spending on COVID programs. So, you know, there is a bit of a double standard here for developed market economies, spend, spend, spend for developed market economies, spend a bit, but make sure you put some consolidation programs in afterwards and people like Daniela say that that is entirely unreasonable um, at this point in time. Anyway, have good weeks. Look, we're looking forward to the presidential debate on Thursday. This was for professional investors only and never investment advice. Bye.